How to make a promise. We're supposed to be learning about explorers. Instead, we're holding hairbrushes and dancing around your room. Now that we're in fourth grade, we have tests. And for our next test, we have to memorize 15 different people who helped map the world. You had trouble remembering them. So I started thinking of tricks that could help. We remembered that Magellan circumnavigated the world by thinking of him as Magello. His body just wiggled and jiggled all over the globe. We remembered Hernando de Soto, who was the first European to explore what is now the southern United States as Hernando de Soda. It was so hot down south that he needed a soda. We remembered Eric the Great, the Viking, who founded the first European settlement on Greenland as being colorblind. He wanted to name the landmass after himself, but he got confused and named it green. To remember Captain James Cook, who sailed to Australia, we just needed to remember him as the cook in a restaurant that catered exclusively to koalas and kangaroos. We decided to take a break after that one. Now we are jumping around and singing like rock stars on stage. We take turns dancing on the bed, then leaping off. I wave like a princess, my nose high in the air. You look like Aubrey, you tell me, and I make a face. Yesterday on the playground, Aubrey announced that she was the most popular girl in fourth grade, which might be true, but shouldn't be. It's true only because when it comes to popularity, pretty matters more than whether anyone actually likes you. I continue to wave, imitating Aubrey now. I say, I am the most popular girl in the world. Ugh, you say, shoot me if I ever become like that. I stop waving and look at you. I'd never shoot you, I say. Well, do something, okay? But you'd never be like Aubrey, I say. Yeah, but just in case, send me a signal, like a secret message. What kind of message? I imagine holding a giant sign that says, don't be like that. Something, I don't know, make it big. Something that really gets my attention. I shrug, okay. Like in a major way, make it serious. I think about that for a bit. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but I like the idea of a secret message, some code understood only by you and me. I say simply, sure, it's a deal. When the song ends, you say into your hairbrush microphone, introducing the great Ms. Frizz. I wrinkle my nose. Ms. Frizz? Yeah, you say, because of your hair. You press play, and on comes a song I love so much, one my mother used to play for me. It's about waking up surrounded by 10 million fireflies, which is something I like to imagine. 10 million fireflies blinking on and off around my head, as if all the distant stars had come down to earth just to say hello. I love this song, I say. I know, dummy, you answer. I hop on the bed and belt, and belt the words toward the ceiling. I'd like to make myself believe that the planet turns slowly. Then you leap up on the bed next to me, I say. And let's welcome Strawberry Girl, ladies and gentlemen. Strawberry Girl? Yeah, because of your strawberry blonde hair. Ooh, I love it. Then you sing into that hairbrush. Because everything is never as it seems. One of your arms is stretched out wide and your chin is tilted upward. Your eyes are almost entirely closed and your lips are pulled into a smile. You look so happy. I say to you then, my mom says when she sells that big house on Laura Lane, she'll take us out to the house of Gachot. The house of Gachot is a restaurant where chefs cook the food on the table right in front of you. Cool, you say. You are still swaying to the beat.
There's a knock on the door, and before we can scramble off the bed, your mom pops her head in. Girls, your mom says. Her voice is serious, but her face looks like she's trying not to smile. Aren't you supposed to be doing homework? We took a break, you answer. You are standing frozen in a kind of rock star position, leaned over toward the hairbrush. Well, says your mom, she's smiling now for real. Maybe it's time to take a break from your break. Okay, you say. Okay, I say. She winks at us and closes the door. We turn the music off and suddenly we are back to being Franny and Susie, just regular kids instead of rock stars. We pick our books back up and return to Magello, to DeSoda, to Captain James Cook and his restaurant for kangaroos. Experts number two and number three. I'd never have guessed how many people spent their lives thinking about jellyfish, and not just biologists either. There were NASA engineers who studied jellies' jet propulsion, performers who brought enormous jellyfish puppets to concerts and other events, making the night sky look exactly like the sea. There were researchers who studied jellyfish anatomy, ecology, evolution. I took notes on some of them, writing down the most important facts, then folded those pages into the back of my science notebook. Before one of our labs, I flipped through them. Justin peered over my shoulder. What's that? I quickly shoved them into the back of my notebook and slammed it shut. Oh, Justin said. He looked startled. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to be nosy. I just... Then he started laughing. I don't know. They looked like FBI notes or something. Are you like an undercover agent or something? I glared at him. Agent Swanson, he said, saluting, reporting for duty. How was I supposed to respond to that anyway? Even if I'd wanted to tell him anything, I still hadn't found the perfect researcher yet. What I wanted was someone who knew something about stings. Possible expert number two, Diana Nyad, long distance swimmer, 64 years old, but not remotely grandmotherly. Actually, she looks like she could punch a champion boxer in the face and walk away unharmed. Short hair, very, very muscular. Has tried four times to swim from Cuba to Florida, but each time had to stop because she'd been stung so badly by jellyfish. There are photographs of her online. Her face blistered and swollen beyond recognition. She's training for a fifth attempt now. She is practicing by swimming in the Caribbean for up to 20 hours a day. Advantages? First-hand expertise with stings. Looks tough. Like, really tough. It might be good to have someone so tough helping me. Disadvantages. 20 hours a day? That will make conversation difficult. That means after swimming, she has just four hours left over for everything else. Not certain that would be enough time to help me. Do I really want to know what a jellyfish feels like? What a jellyfish sting feels like? She looks so tough. I wonder if she's even nice. Conclusion. Temporarily rejected because, frankly, I'm a little frightened of the woman. But watch her. She's interesting. Possible expert number three. Angel Yanagihara, biochemist in Hawaii. When she was a young woman, she was stung by a box jellyfish, which is related to the Irukandji. Barely made it to shore before blacking out. Frankly, she's lucky to be alive. Since then, she developed the first ever treatment for a jellyfish sting. She is currently helping that 64-year-old swimmer, Diana Nyad, figure out how to swim from Cuba to Florida without letting the jellyfish stop her again. Long, straight, blondish hair. Almost strawberry blonde, actually. Advantages. Box jellyfish are very similar to the Irukandji. Knows all about stings. Created her own treatment for jellyfish stings. She understands about fixing things, about making things right. She is pretty, long, straight blonde hair and sparkly eyes. 
Maybe even reminds me a little bit of Franny. Perhaps that's a sign. Disadvantages. Question mark. Conclusion. Maybe this is the one. Research more. I couldn't stop looking at Angel's picture. She had long, flat, blonde hair, almost like Franny's. She knew everything a person would need to know to really help me. It was practically perfect. And I almost picked her. I swear I did. But then I found a video of her online, a clipping from a news show about her work. The video showed her injecting a mouse with venom from a box jellyfish, the same kind that had stung her. She taped the mouse belly up to a table in her laboratory, shaved his fur off, then watched on a monitor as the mouse came nearer and nearer to death. She didn't even wince. I knew how it felt to inflict pain, then stand there and watch. I'd done it before. So it didn't matter to me that Angel Yanagihara was doing it for a good cause, or even that she swooped in at the last minute with her treatment. I wanted to stay as far from this woman as possible. It turns out she didn't remind me of Franny after all. She reminded me of me. And then I saw Jamie and I knew Jamie was the one. How to not say something important. I am sitting on the morning school bus. I have been thinking about a book we are reading in fifth grade about a dog named after a supermarket and a girl who makes friends with an old lady who had too much alcohol in her life. In the book, the old lady hangs empty bottles from a tree to remind her of all her mistakes. When bottles knock together in the breeze, they sound like chimes. And that is my favorite thing about this book. The image of those dangling bottles. All those terrible memories that somehow make music when they knock against one another. You see, I have my own terrible memory now. One I haven't told you about yet. That terrible memory is this. My mom and dad told me they're getting a divorce. They told me over dinner at Elmer Sud's pub, which is the, the place with the curly fries and the tables that are so tall you need to sit on bar stools. Mom said she helped my dad find a new apartment, a perk of being in real estate, I guess. And they both laughed, which frankly, I thought was weird. I'm going to be one of those kids with divorced parents. It's bad enough that Aaron had to leave, that he is off at college having all kinds of adventures without us. It's as if all the loneliness he left behind in the house just crack the rest of our family in half. I want so badly to tell you. It is the biggest news I have ever had. But every time I've tried to tell you, I haven't been able to make the words come. You get on the bus and walk toward me, toward the seat we always sit in, and I think, maybe now, maybe now is the time. But when you sit down, your eyes are dancing, and you look like you have something you want to talk about. You don't even say hello. Instead, you whisper to me, who do you like? I don't know what to say. Even if that were the thing I wanted to talk about, there are lots of possible answers. I like Fluffernutter. I like you. I like Aaron. I like my mom and dad, even if I am mad at them for getting a divorce. I like the woodpecker that knocks against the tree outside my window. I like the moon when it's a thin crescent and looks like a cartoon drawing of a closed eye as if the sky were winking. What? I say. Boys, I mean. Who do you like? I wrinkled my nose. I say no one which I know is what girls say when they don't want to tell people who they like, but in this case, it is true. I don't like anyone, not like that. You frown at me, and I feel the chance to tell you about my parents slipping away. But you have to like someone, you say. We'll be in middle school soon. I turn those words over in my brain. I have to? There are some things I have to do. I know this. I have to eat. I have to drink water. I have to breathe. But beyond those things... It doesn't seem like there's anything else on earth that I really have to do.
even the things my mom says I must, like clearing the table or showering more now that I'm getting older. Still, I don't say these words aloud. I know that if I say them, you will roll your eyes. You've started doing that lately, and frankly, I don't like it one bit. From the back of the bus, I hear a group of boys laughing, the way boys do when they're in a big group. So I ask, well, who do you like? It comes out sounding a bit like an accusation. I like Dylan, you say, and you blush. Well, that about floors me. Dylan, I whisper. Dylan Parker? You blush deeper now. Yeah, Dylan Parker. Tell me you're kidding. And I know I don't sound very kind when I say that, but this doesn't exactly seem like the sort of thing I should have to be kind about. Nobody should have to be kind about Dylan Parker because Dylan Parker himself is not kind. You shrug, almost apologetically. I just think he's cute. And that's when I know. Everything is about to change. It's about to get knotted up in the worst possible ways. I think about my hair, about the tangles I battle every morning. I have spent so many hours of my life trying to brush out tangles. But no matter how carefully I try to pull the individual strands apart, they just get tighter and tighter. They cinch together in all the worst ways until they are almost impossible to straighten out. Sometimes there is nothing to be done but to get a pair of scissors and cut the knot right out. But how do you cut out a knot that's formed by people? I don't like where this is going at all. Crazy brave. Jamie is not what you might think. He's not how you might imagine the hero of a story. He is old, first of all. Not as old as Diana Nyad, maybe, but at least as old as my dad, and my dad's going to be 50 next year. He looks like a dad, too. He has lines around his eyes and on his forehead, and his lower jaw is tucked under the rest of his face like a drawer that's been pushed in a teeny bit too far. There are lots of gray hairs on his head, and when he wears what he calls his stinger suit, a nylon wet suit that protects him from jellyfish things, he looks kind of like a toddler wearing tight pajamas. Jamie, Dr. Jamie Seymour, professor of biology, works in a lab at James Cook University in Cairn, which is a city in Queensland, which is in a state in Australia, which is both the world's largest island and the world's smallest continent. In Australia, people have seen spiders eat birds, centipedes eat snakes, snakes eat crocodiles, crocodiles eat children. There are killer ants that lunge at humans an octopus that contains enough venom to kill 26 humans. Birds with such terrible claws, they sometimes rip the insides right out of full-grown people. You have to be crazy brave to live in Australia. I watched a lot of videos of Jamie. In the first video, I saw him jump in. He jumped into the water that was swarming with deadly jellyfish. I'm talking about jellyfish that could kill him in three minutes flat but he jumped in like it was nothing at all. Jamie grabbed one of those jellyfish with his bare hands. 10 feet of tentacles swirled all around. All casual, he told a TV reporter that the jellyfish he was holding contained enough venom to kill 15 humans. I could see how nervous the reporter was. The reporter tried to smile nonchalantly. He cracked a joke as if saying, ha ha, yeah, all part of the job but I could see the way he leaned back away from the animal and I couldn't really think of, and he couldn't really think of what to say. I could see the fear in his eyes. In another video, Jamie got into the water and even though he was covered head to, head to toe in a singer suit, there was still 
just a tiny little part of his face that was exposed. That was all it took. He was brushed on the lower lip ever so slightly, like a kiss from a tentacle he never even saw. He was brushed on the lip by an ear kanji, an actual ear kanji. Jamie had been filming for a television show when it happened, and they caught the whole thing on camera. I watched the report of the incident. After Jamie was stung, he writhed in pain for two full days, which is almost 3,000 minutes. When I calculated that, I tried pinching myself as hard as I could for exactly 60 seconds. Try that, and then multiply it, if you can, by 3,000, and you still won't have even the slightest sense of what Jamie went through. The whole time, Jamie lay in a hospital bed wearing only a red bathing suit. He cried, he curled into a ball, he vomited. He knew the cameras were on him and he let them record it all. Later, Jamie said that as he lay in that hospital, he was convinced he was going to die. He wasn't like Angel Yanigahara, who stung a mouse, then watched as it got closer and closer to death. He was the mouse. The weirdest part of the whole video came after he was out of the hospital, though. Because as soon as he felt better, like the very instant, he got right back into the water. Just like that, he went back to those jellyfish. He laughed and joked as if those two days hadn't even happened. He didn't even seem mad. And that's one of the reasons I liked him. I liked him because he had been stung and it hadn't changed him. He had a sense of humor. He was fearless. He could forgive. Best of all, it seemed like Jamie was the one person who was crazy enough not to think I was crazy. I felt certain he could help me prove that sometimes things just happen isn't actually a reason for anything. And if he could help me with this, he'd be helping with something else too. He'd be helping me write a new ending, a better ending to the story of my friendship with Granny. An ending in which I'm one of the good guys, not the villain. Aren't you just loving these chapters where it feels like Susie is talking directly to Franny and she's talking in the present tense, but having these memory moments, I'm finding the writing style to just be really powerful. And I'm feeling inspired to do some writing of my own memories in that style. So I thought for today's sort of question for thought, I, I might encourage you to do some creative writing and try that style on for yourself. Try writing about one of your memories, but write it in the present tense and maybe even think about who your your audience is. Is there a way for you to write it directly to somebody who is also part of that memory with you? I think it could be really powerful. So if, if you try it out, send, it, send me your writing um, and I'd love to give you some feedback and see how this style works for you. Have fun with it.